going to read the triumphal entry, the Palm Sunday passage from two different Gospels this morning. I want to read it from Mark, and then I want to read a portion of Luke as well. So we're beginning in Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 4. They went, the disciples, and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, that is, that the Lord has need of it. And the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then from Luke chapter 19, I'm beginning in verse 35. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Father, we pray that you will bless this time in your word and you will help our hearts to receive, Lord, truth from this powerful moment in Jesus's ministry. We just commit this time to you, Lord. Help our hearts be good ground, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 9, there is a point where it says Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. From that point on, in Luke, he is heading towards Jerusalem for that final week. Now, in his humanity, Jesus didn't want to face what lay ahead for him. But he knew he had to in order to accomplish the mission that God sent him to accomplish. So Jesus set his face. It means he, he was resolute. He was determined to go to Jerusalem to endure what I'm calling the most horrible, wonderful, holy week in all of history. Now, Jesus had entered Jerusalem many times before, but this time was different. You could feel it in the air. Jesus was already very famous throughout Israel for the miracles that he had performed, the healings, the raising of the dead, the casting out of demons. He was also famous for his teaching because he taught with authority in a way that they had never heard before. And now, as he begins to ride towards Jerusalem on a donkey... Those watching him, his disciples, the crowd begins to gather around, and they think immediately of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. 
Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So they see that. So picture the scene with me. There's crowds around him. There's, there's crowds behind him. There's crowds in front of him. And they begin to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save, please, save me. Hosanna to him who comes. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> so we have this really raucous joyful, loud scene, but not everybody in the crowd was pleased. The religious leaders were really put off. <clears throat> they were really bothered by this. They didn't see Zechariah 9.9. And, I, you know, you got to just ask the question, how is it that the most well-educated, most well-versed in the Bible... <clears throat> couldn't make the Old Testament connections. How is it that they didn't see what the crowd saw? They weren't dumb people. They were not dumb men. They knew the Bible. They knew the Old Testament better than the crowd did. <clears throat> I want to submit one reason, I think, and I think it was a major reason they did not make the connections, they did not see, is they were blinded by their own personal agenda. Beware of personal agendas. You see, these men envied Jesus' popularity. I mean, they never had crowds, you know, following after them, you know, singing praise to them. All they had was a few people that would fall asleep while they talked. They didn't have the popularity. So they see Jesus come on the scene, and he has got this popularity. They also were threatened because as the crowds are crying out, this is our king, they're afraid that Rome is going to sweep in and stomp down on it all and strip them of their power and their position because that power and position they were granted was at the pleasure of Rome and they were afraid they would lose that. So these men had a personal agenda and that agenda, which was their power, their position, people listening to them, their status, and what it did, and this is where personal agendas, it focused them on all the wrong things and blinded them to all that God was doing. So as you read through the Gospels, you find that, you know, Jesus heals a blind man, and they stand there with their arms crossed and said, you did it on the wrong day. You know, or, or Jesus healed a paralyzed man, a man that had been paralyzed he suddenly gets up and grabs his mat and he's praising God. And what do they say? Can you believe that he said his sins were forgiven? Or Jesus is with sinners and they're praising God and they're repenting and they're turning towards God. And all these, these people are standing there with, on the outside looking in and they're saying, why does Jesus associate with them? They are so blind to what God is doing Because they were so concerned with their rules, their traditions, their power, their position. And at one point, they even said to somebody who was healed and praising God, they said, listen, are any of us praising him? Doesn't that tell you something? We're the experts. None of us are praising him. You know what it tells us? I, I do appreciate that saying that an expert is someone who's paid to be wrong. These guys were experts. They were wrong. Another saying, 
Uh, I shared last week, they knew God's word. They missed God's heart. They completely missed God's heart. When I worked at the music store, somebody came up with a saying that I thought was, was uh, pretty great. It was, some people spend half their life tuning up and the other half playing out of tune. And these Pharisees, these chief priests, they spent half their life learning about God and the other half not knowing who God is. So they demand Jesus silences the crowd. And Jesus answers, if the crowd was silent right now, the very rocks would cry out my praise. You guys are dumber than rocks. You are more unaware of what God is doing than the stones you're walking on right now. So before we move on, let this be a warning to us. Personal agendas need to be submitted to God or they will blind us to what God is doing. So if we, our heart really should, as much as we can, empty our heart of what we want and submit our hearts to what God wants. So Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, and he was and he is the king of heaven. He is the king who is going to sit on the throne of David forever and ever. And I want from this passage, these two passages, just to point out two things that we learn about our king, Jesus, from these passages. The first thing, very simply, is Jesus is the king who came to bring peace. Jesus is the king who came to bring peace. In those days, when a king approached a city to make war, he rode a war horse. And that's what the Bible says Jesus will ride at his second coming. I want to read from Revelation chapter 19, beginning at verse 11. The Apostle John writes this. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is a war horse. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. What a glorious picture we have here. Excuse me. What we have, as I work this through, what we have here is this picture of the end of time on the earth as we know it. And in Jesus is coming back this time, not as a lamb, but as a lion. This time, not to bring peace, but to bring war to those who are following the Antichrist. <clears throat> and it's going to be a short war. He's going to blow them away, but it's a war. 
And that is then. But this day, this Palm Sunday, Jesus didn't come to bring war. He came to bring peace. Not world peace, because you might say, well, where's that peace he came to bring? Not peace between nations. That's not going to happen until he returns and sets up his kingdom on the earth. The peace he came to bring is peace one person at a time. Peace in the heart, in the soul, in the mind. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. See, all the wars throughout history, all the wars around the world at any given time, all reflect the inner war that wages in the heart of every man and woman and even child. The devastation we see going on right now in the Ukraine is one expression of that war. There have been wars throughout history. But we don't need to look and just look at wars between nations to see war. Because it's all around us. We see brokenness. We see destruction in our daily lives. We see it every time we pick up the news. There is a shortage of peace on earth, and there has been ever since Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. This past week, as you know, we read once again about a tragic school shooting in Nashville. There is no way to make sense. We don't know all the details. Maybe we never will. But there is no way to make sense of this tragic killing of three beautiful children and three educators. There's no words that could express the devastation that's left in the wake of that. Now, at one point, the manifesto of Audrey Hale may be released, and maybe we'll understand a little better what was in her mind and what was in her heart. But I think we can say this now. We know her mind was in torment. There was a war going on inside her soul and torment of hatred and violence and resentment and despair and suicidal ideations and who knows what else mixed together in her soul in her heart, in her mind, and it became a ticking time bomb that then went off on this past Monday, leaving a wake of devastation and death behind. So first of all, our hearts and prayers especially go out to the parents and the families of those three precious children whose lives were senselessly cut so short. In fact, let's pause and pray for them right now. Father, we just come to you. And we just lift up these moms and dads whose hearts are broken. 
There's, there's no words that can express. And we pray for them and we lift them to your throne. Please, please comfort them. And for those husbands, wives, and family of the three educators who, who also heroically gave their lives trying to protect the children under their care, please bring comfort to them, Lord. We just pray for them. Words fall short, Father. Our prayers are weak, but we know that you are a gracious and comforting God, so please meet them. Please meet them and help them through this time and give them hope, hope in Jesus, Lord, that this isn't the end. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What this is, is it is a reminder of how broken this world is. Amen? This world is broken. I mean, that's just one example. We need peace in this world. There are wars raging everywhere. And sometimes we see the wars raging outside with conflict and problems and issues and everything. But sometimes those wars rage on the inside, you know, where we can't see them. You realize that there are, there are people who may have a life that's everything is great and they've got, it seems like everything is going their way. And you think, man, you know, you talk about a peaceful, wonderful life, but in their heart, there could be wars raging that we know not of. And to some degree, isn't that true of all of us as we struggle to find inner peace? I don't know what you're struggling with this morning, but I'll bet you nine-tenths of you are struggling with something. And in, in probably not just something that came up this morning and will be over by, by noon. Some things we struggle with for days, months, decades. Things like fear and pride. Greed, worry, insecurity, illness, conflict, betrayal, misunderstanding, regret, sleeplessness. A host of things that rob our hearts and our minds of peace. And here's the thing. If we try to derive our peace from anything that the world can give if we try to find peace by being well liked or 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 famous or wealthy if we try to derive our peace from entertainment or recreation or physical health or good looks or financial security or anything other than Jesus what we're deriving our peace from will eventually fail us and fade away Eventually, it will be taken away from us. Popularity will die out. Looks and health eventually leave. Climb to the top of the ladder. You, you work for years, and you climb, and you climb, and you climb, and finally you get that corner office, your name on the, the door, and you're making big money, and everybody's like, what can we do? You know, do you, and you know, and then, then you turn around, and they're throwing a retirement party for you. And if you derived your peace from that status and that place in the top, and now all of a sudden they're giving you a gold watch, and you know what? They will forget you within a month. 
And now you're sitting at home, retired, and now where do you get your peace? From playing golf seven days a week? Watching TV 23 hours a day? What? You can stockpile money, but that money, you could lose it like this. But you know what? What's amazing is there comes a point where everything money can buy you doesn't mean anything to you anymore. If you're 99 years old and all you can eat is like mushed peas, what does it matter that you could buy the most expensive filet mignon in the world? You're stuck in bed. You can't get out. What does it matter that you've got a Maserati in your driveway? Nothing. If we derive our peace from anything the world gives, we are always moving away from our peace. But when we derive our peace from Jesus Christ, we are always moving towards our peace. We can have peace now, but we'll have a whole lot more peace when the Prince of Peace returns or we go to be with him. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Jesus can speak peace to the, to the most troubled heart. He can give peace of comfort to the hurting and broken heart. You know, I don't have this in my notes, but there's been a lot of, of back and forth. In, and I get it. I get it with shootings that we always, it's always said we're praying for them. And, and then those that don't believe prayer is much, they'll, they'll say, well, that's, you know, big deal. Prayers, you know, we need more than that. I don't disagree that we do want more than prayer, but I do disagree. Prayer, God can meet people's hearts. Listen, when your world is taken out from under you, God can be the world to you. And everybody at some point is going to have the world taken out from under them. It's just a matter of when. And then God, Jesus, can be the world to us. So God can provide comfort supernaturally to the broken heart. God can give the peace of calm to the troubled heart. He can give peace of love to the, to the lonely heart. He can give the peace of faith to the fearful heart, the peace of humility to the proud heart, the peace of contentment to the greedy heart. Jesus is the king who came to bring us peace. Secondly, Jesus is the king who came to save. I mentioned earlier the word Hosanna means save, please, save. It's a cry for salvation. Some years ago, I came across a book all about English kings and monarchs, and it was complete with portraits. And I'm flipping through this book, and I'm looking at these portraits of British kings and queens. And, um, you know, I know, you know, you can only say so much from a portrait, but most of them, I wouldn't trust them to sell me a used car. I'm looking at these faces. I'm like, no, nah, I wouldn't want that as my king. I would not want that guy as my king. Wouldn't really want her as my queen. I'm trying to assess their character through their portrait. And that's impossible to do. There is no portrait of Jesus. Mary didn't paint a picture of Jesus while he was feeding the 5,000. We have no portrait. I mean, hundreds of years later, they started painting pictures. But we have no contemporaneous portrait of Jesus Christ. But more importantly, Scripture gives us a portrait of his character, the inside of Jesus. And that's far more important. Jesus is the one. He is the king who sacrificed his life to save ours. 
there have been, uh, there's a history full of despots who are willing to sacrifice the lives of hundreds of thousands and even millions of their own people in order to make their power more secure and their lives more self-indulgent. Boggles the mind, doesn't it? How could somebody do that? But they literally will kill uh, or allow to die millions of their own people just to keep themselves in power. One example of just where people go, King Henry VIII divorced his first wife to marry Anne Boleyn, only to tire of her after three years and have her executed. Is that a man you want to trust your life with? Is that a man you want to have absolute rule over your life where his word, he could send you to the death? I don't think so. I don't think so. You see, most of these men, they would not sacrifice a single dollar to save your life, but they would sacrifice your life to save themselves a single dollar. Jesus is the king who gave his life to save us. I've often wondered, where were these crowds who were crying out Hosanna just a few days later when a smaller crowd was crying out crucify him? Where were all these people? What happened in the five days between Palm Sunday and Good Friday? Well, I want us to take just a quick run through, especially since we're not having a Good Friday service this week, and just consider that week. And then maybe it will give us insight into what happened. Where did they go? So let's think for a moment about that horrible, wonderful, holy week that began on Palm Sunday. Immediately upon after entering Jerusalem, the cries of Hosanna, welcome, blessed is the name, were barely silenced when Jesus began to weep over Jerusalem. He began to weep. Now, you'd expect Jesus to do a victory lap. I mean, when we have little successes in our lives, we savor them, don't we? We think about them. And man, when that happened, and Jesus wept. We're not talking about a tear or two. We're talking about weeping like the prophet Jeremiah over Jerusalem. Why? He knew what was coming to them. And he knew what they would do to him in just a few days. On Monday, Jesus drove out all the money changers from the temple. Which simply caused more controversy swirling around him. And greater hatred of the leaders towards him. Their hatred began to burn with a ferocity. So on Tuesday, one of Jesus' closest disciples, Judas went to the religious leaders and betrayed Jesus, selling him out for 30 pieces of silver. Have you ever been betrayed? I've had people disappoint me. I don't think I've ever been betrayed. If you've ever been betrayed, and the only way to be betrayed is by a friend. You can't be betrayed by an enemy. So betrayal is like a knife in the back. Jesus endured betrayal. So important was that betrayal to to the process that when we take communion, it says on the night he was betrayed. But that began on Tuesday. That's when Judas went to the 
religious leader and said, I will look for an opportunity. On Thursday, Wednesday I think was a quiet day, according to Scripture. Thursday, Jesus shared the Last Supper with his disciples. He went to Gethsemane, where the pressure of what he was about to endure so pressed on his heart that he sweat drops of blood, burst capillaries, and then was arrested and betrayed with a kiss by Judas and arrested by the crowd. Then on Friday, Good Friday, Jesus was tried in the middle of the night. The night went on the early morning hours by a sham jury and fake witnesses, and he was found guilty of blasphemy. Roman soldiers then whipped him with a cat of nine tails 39 times, pounded a crown of thorns into his head. He was then forced to drag a heavy cross through the streets, stumbling and falling from exhaustion and pain. And then five-inch nails were nailed into his hands and through his feet, and he was raised up on a harsh wooden cross where he hung And then there on the cross, the sun went down for three hours, and that's when God poured out his wrath for our sin upon his son. That's when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus took all the punishment our sins deserved upon himself. This horrible, wonderful, holy week. It doesn't end on Friday, does it? But we're going to stop there for now. Because there is, thank God, an Easter Sunday. But let's, let's just not go there yet. I think this explains why the crowds abandoned him. You see, as he hung on the cross, he didn't look like much of a king to them. They expected him to set up his throne. Here's what they're, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He's going to set up his throne. He's going to destroy the Roman oppression we have. He's going to make everything right. This is the moment, the day, and then the week goes on and it gets worse and worse and worse. They see him weeping. They see him betrayed. They see the religious leaders hate him. They see him arrested. I don't know that everyone who cried out Hosanna on Sunday cried out crucify him on Friday. I suspect many of them, all what was happening was simply this. The momentum of the moment and the crowds and the excitement was all going towards praise him, Hosanna to the king. And so they just got swept up in that momentum and they're all feverishly waving palm branches, Hosanna to the king. I believe five days later, the momentum of him going towards his death And the powers that be oppressing anyone who will associate with him, they just went with the momentum on that. As they saw the backlash, and I think many of them just shrank back into the crowd. They just got quiet. Or maybe like Peter, I don't know the man. The Gospel of John records many times where fair weather 
believers turned away, walked away. But as we close, Jesus' ultimate success wasn't going to be won with the crowd. It was going to be won on the cross. The cross is the pinnacle of success for Jesus because it was there he made possible for everyone who believes in him to be saved. The resurrection is awesome, but there'd be no resurrection if there weren't for the cross. Jesus is the king who came to bring us peace and to save us from our sin and for eternal life. It's on the cross that Jesus bore our sin, that we might wear his righteousness, that we might stand before God, the righteous judge. Jesus came to save us from hell and for heaven, from condemnation and for acceptance by God. Jesus offers forgiveness and eternal life to everyone who comes to him and believes. Jesus alone is the perfect king who gave himself for us. So let's bow our hearts in allegiance and worship him. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Let me just give us this encouragement. And we need the grace of God to, to live this encouragement out. But we also, also, God places in us um, the ability to resolve. Let's not be fair weather followers of Jesus. Let's not praise God and love Jesus when everybody else is praising God and loving Jesus, but when people don't love him and people hate him and people will hate anyone associated with him, let's not shrink back into the crowd and say, I don't know the man. Let's not let the momentum of the moment carry us towards Jesus and then carry us away from Jesus. Remember that old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. We should sing that, but we didn't practice that. But we're just going to, let's just decide, just decide to follow Jesus. Don't care about what the other person, whatever they, just, I am going to follow Jesus. And let's praise Jesus in the good times and the bad. When there's pressure on our faith to keep it quiet, not tell anyone, like the Pharisees, tell the crowd to shut up. Tell that Christian to shut up. Tell that, tell that person, you want to praise God, praise him in the quiet of your own house, but don't bring it out here. Praise him in church, but don't praise him at your job. Don't speak about Jesus, and we don't want to hear about them. Listen, they need to hear about it. The world needs the peace of Jesus. Don't be obnoxious. Don't be arrogant. Don't be loudmouth. But don't be ashamed of Jesus. Speak his name. Tell people about Jesus. And when they tell you, you know, that's a private thing, you just, you know, well, what else is private? I mean, you know, you, you talk about everything else. And, but one thing we can't talk about, it's only for private. No, Jesus said, you, you know, if, I, if they're quiet, the stones will cry out. So before your printer at work starts talking about Jesus, you talk about Jesus. Before something else starts crying about him, my point is the world needs. We live in a broken world. And we don't know how broken the heart of the person next to us is. And we don't know how God may want to touch them and change their hearts. Well, God wants to touch them and change their hearts. You know, as we close, even that person who's like red-faced and angry and hates you, they could be this close to God touching their heart and turning them into a lover of Jesus. So with love and with prayer and with humility, share your story. Share about Jesus. Let them know. Don't shove it down anybody's throat, but don't be ashamed of him either. Amen? Amen. Let's speak his name. Let's be bold about him. We live in a broken world. Let's stand together.